the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah and i'm an india and we are your theory doctors Hello. Welcome back. Good to see you again. Hope you've all had a good week. Um, what are we talking about this week? What are we talking week? about? We're talking about a, a human being that we both really, really like. We've discussed before at various stages doing an episode on this person. And we've always turned around and said, nah. Because we don't. I was about to say we don't want to give him the oxygen of publicity. That, that's a Thatcher's, Thatcherite phrase that we, we shouldn't really endorse. Yeah, and but essentially we, he, he gets enough coverage gets without enough coverage us talking without us, about yes. him. So who is he? Julian Assange. Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. We don't talk that much about Julian Assange anyway because I think we don't really find him particularly interesting. Yes. As a figure, yeah. we talk far more about Chelsea Manning. Yes. We talked a lot about Chelsea Manning. Because she is much more interesting. She's much more interesting and lots of different aspects of her yeah. we've talked about. Yeah. And we did it. We did a series on the Panama Papers. Yeah. We've talked about whistleblowing. Yeah. We've talked about offshore tax havens. Yes. You know, we've done yeah. all of uh, some of the stuff around WikiLeaks. Yes. But we've never really felt the need to talk about Assange. Mm-hmm. And we still don't really feel the need to talk about him, but we also sort of think now is the time. Yes, and and to be honest, this I mean, this episode is going to be about him, but it's going to be more about what the various forms of left wing responses to Assange says about left wing politics more generally. I think. Yeah. Um, so, why why are we talking about him now? He was arrested. Yes. He was arrested. He he was kicked out of uh, the walls of Ecuador in, Ecuador in, London. in London. Yes. Um. He he had been granted um leave to stay there long term. How many years had he been there? Like seven, eight years. Ages. Mm. Um. Meanwhile, of course, Chelsea Manning has been mm. in and out of prison. Is back. In, in prison, prison in the United States. Because she, she refuses, she's in prison now because she refuses to testify against Assange. Yeah. Assange has so far avoided formal imprisonment. Though, you, know, you can make a case that living in, in, a, in the Ecuadorian embassy for years on end is, is a form of imprisonment anyway. Uh, but he's avoided formal imprisonment uh, by claiming asylum for Ecuador. Ecuador has finally refused. Rescinded. rescinded the the right to to asylum, uh, and the the Metropolitan Police in London have has arrested him. At the moment, there is a debate going on about firstly about whether he should be extradited, and if so, where he should be extradited to. Uh, America wants him, and Sweden want him, uh, but America and Sweden's desire to prosecute, uh, we would argue, are based on very different. Um, reasons and it is our, our episode today is situated in the difference between Assange's extradition to Sweden possible extradition to Sweden and his possible extradition to the United States yes so why does the United States want him the United States wants him 
uh, because he was the figurehead yeah. of a small group of uh, hackers who set up WikiLeaks, which yeah. is a platform for whistleblowers to anonymously yes. uh, upload private government data to the internet. Yes. And he was the face of WikiLeaks. Um, he certainly wasn't wasn't the only one mm-hmm. involved, but yeah. he, you know, he's kind of the founder or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And the U.S. government would really like to prosecute him for uh, what, I mean, Hillary Clinton called it endangering um, American lives abroad. Yeah. There was a, a huge cache of documents that were uploaded on WikiLeaks about the Iraq War. Yeah. And um, the Chelsea Manning was, of course, the, the key whistleblower uh, in in that case, and um, and they they've taken on the pair of them have taken on very different yeah. kind of public personas and yeah. have been have been I, I mean I would say kind of granted yeah. different public personas in terms of their their roles in this yeah. um, in this particular saga yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and. Uh, Assange has always said, you know, and the, and the people that that uh, that defend him here yeah. is that what WikiLeaks does is essentially the same thing as journalism, journalism and yeah. should be protected in the way that journalists are protected, and yeah. that the information that was made public on WikiLeaks yeah. is information that the public has the right to know yeah. and to have. Yes. And why does Sweden want him? Sweden wants him because he has been accused of sexual assault and abuse by multiple by women. Multiple women, and yes. that those accusations are many years old. Yes, and um, generally speaking, they they came about before the Chelsea Manning uh, drop. Yeah, so the these accusations go back to the early early years of WikiLeaks, and mm. are prior to this, the particular incident that the United States wants to prosecute. Yes, yeah. Um, and I guess there has already been so many column inches and so many hours on, on, on broadcast media devoted to this story. So it's difficult to, you would assume that it's difficult to find anything new to say about it. Uh, one One reason why we thought it is time, as you said, to do a do an episode on on this man is I think both of us have experienced a similar uh, confusion at our social media uh, certainly I have uh, my my social media network seems to be consisting of two groups of people who are talking at each other uh, without necessarily recognizing that both of them might be right uh, I have one group of left-wing activist friends who are talking about uh, who who see the 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 moves to prosecute Assange as evidence of a totalitarian state, uh, clamping down on whistleblowers, clamping down on uh, on the rights of of the general population to know what is happening. Uh, what their state is doing, who use 
uh, arguments like, well, if WikiLeaks existed before the Iraq war started, the Iraq war wouldn't have happened, uh, and defend Assange as uh, a journalist, as, a, as an icon of freedom of information, as, as an icon of uh, someone who represents the important corrective to unbridled state power. That's one group. The other group who is, who is as I said, talking at the former group is, uh, they may or may not describe themselves as left-wing activists, but certainly feminist activists, uh, sexual rights activists, anti-violence activists, who argue that Assange's sort of iconic hero status as representative of uh, a kind of anti-government uh, position is another example of a toxic heterosexual masculinity which can get away with committing violence against women without prosecution, without consequence. And the, the very broadly, loosely speaking, left-wing embrace of Assange is a sign, another sign of uh, a left-wing masculinity that refuses to value uh, women and women's bodies and refuses to take seriously the epidemic of sexual violence against women. Yeah. It, yeah. Is that a fair description of the two positions? Yeah, and that there's an implicit hierarchy being created here where um, the... And this is typical, you know, feminists have, have identified this across the, the board of... Yeah. of um, well-known public figures yes. that one aspect of their activity in mm. the world, yeah. so to speak, mm. is significant enough yeah. that that takes precedence yes. over bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we're not... And, and this is, is um, characteristic of Me Too yeah. as well. Um, de- you know, debates about can you watch a a Woody Allen movie? Yeah. You know, yeah. You, yeah. you know all this kind of stuff. And, 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 a, and a call back to our episode on sexual harassment in academia, particularly, which yeah. which was, uh, if you, if you go back and listen to that episode, we talk about um, sort of liberal left academia, and particularly sort of celebrity male academics whose work. Uh, is apparently situated in a in a politics of egalitarianism and socialism and liberation and, and liberation all of those things, but there are multiple credible allegations of of sexual violence made against them, um, and and this I think the the feminist response to the story identifies quite correctly in my view a a, a continuing tradition across these these stories. Yes. At the same time, the United States doesn't normally give a shit, for lack of a better word, about rapists and sexual abusers. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you look at me too, how many, how many of those men are in prison? Yes. No. Yes. Not very many. many. And how many of them will go to prison? 
Not very many. Not very many. They will remain for the rest of their lives alleged yeah. rapists. No one will prove in court that they are guilty. Yeah. So they will it will always be alleged behavior. Yeah. Alleged criminal acts. Yes. Whatever it is. And so the it's not incorrect, I don't think, to say yeah. that when the United States tries to use these accusations and these uh, arrest warrants in Sweden as justification for their own desire to prosecute Assange in the United States, it is an excuse. You know, yeah. it's not like... It's quite hypocritical, mm. you know? Yeah. But... The response, the, the to me, the logical response for those who defend Assange isn't then to say the man should go free. Yeah. The the logical response is, okay, get Harvey Weinstein up here too. Yes. You know yes. it's. Yes. And why yes. isn't why are we not seeing that? Yeah. Why? Um, wh- why it, is it? I don't know if this is something that is unique to the left. I, I don't think it is. But there does seem to be a a genuine difficulty that so much so many people face, and maybe social media has something to do with it. To but people find it difficult to hold two competing thoughts in their head at the same time. In other words, it is perfectly possible. I would say, perhaps the likeliest solution uh, is or likeliest out uh, likeliest. Um, most accurate description of the situation is that a man can be guilty of sexual abuse and the fact that his guilt is being instrumentalized by a totalitarian state for its own hypocritical reasons in this situation as opposed to other situations like surely that is the that is clearly the that's what's happened that that's the that's the likeliest story here yeah but that is certainly going by my social media. That is the, the 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 small the smallest minority, if you like, of voices, seem to be articulating that position. A big shout out here to Novara Media's Ash Sarkar, mm-hmm. uh, who is an ex student of mine, as it happens, uh, and is a is a brilliant uh, uh, voice in in left wing alternative media in Britain at the moment. And she has written. We'll we'll put this link in the uh, in the description. She's will written a really good, very balanced uh, uh, analysis that precisely makes this case that. If one were to be consistent in one's um, in one's politics, one would demand that Assange be extradited to Sweden and insist on the right of WikiLeaks to carry on the kind of journalism that it is doing. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I'm much more interested in trying to tease out quite why this position seems to be so difficult for people to maintain. And I'm much more interested in that than what happens to Assange the man. Yeah, what's really interesting, I guess, is, is maybe there's a there's a sort of yearning for a single coherent, clear narrative about an individual. The right, hmm. the right does a really good job of holding multiple, con- very hmm. contradictory, and not just kind of complementary or logical positions at the same time. So a lot of the justification for voting for Trump yeah. on the you know on the right comes from people saying well yes 
He probably is this horrible person. Mm. If we're talking about sexual abusers, Mm. he is allegedly one. Mm. Well, he 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 is dead. He describes. He's he's admitted himself, described himself as a sexual abuser. He describes his behavior. So we know that he does that. And we, you know, but, but, you know, God forgives everyone. And who among us hasn't, you know, grabbed a woman once and, you know, and, but, and he calls it how it is. And, he, you know, he's, he may be lying, but we like what he says. And, and so the, the right has no real the right hasn't, need yeah, for yeah. a sort of coherent, you know, a, a, to attach good, good to the person and good to the act and have them all be kind of contained in this, this neat package. Yeah, I'm just. I'm, there's a there's a meme that I've shared shared on Facebook, which which is is directly ap- applicable to to Modi in India, but I think applies to Trump as well, which is like that their supporters the 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 contradiction that their supporters uh, are are able to hold in their head is is summarized by firstly he didn't say that, <laughs> if he did he didn't mean that, if he did you didn't understand it, and if you did it's not a big deal, <laughs> and if it is others have said worse. <laughs> I use a sort of like that, but there is there is a, a real truth to that that the right is able to hold, um, hold those contradictions in their head without, without it letting them affect their sort of political subjectivity. Yeah, you know, like the 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 Christian right in America can continue to talk about family values, and it doesn't affect their support of Trump. No. Why, why can't the right do that and the left can't? I don't know. I mean, I, I do wonder if there's an element of the way the left constructs its sort of ethical framework or mm. tries to construct mm. an ethical framework, which is one of um, consistency yeah. and coherence and... Um, one of the values of the left, I think, is a, a lack of hypocrisy, yeah. which is quite a Christian, it's yeah. a sort of evangelical impulse t- yeah. to, to, to walk the walk, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that there is a, a liberal value mm. in m- mapping your actions, your behavior, and your beliefs onto your ethical framework in a performative way yeah yeah. there is a performance to it so you know calling back to notre dame if you Mm. care about injustice you should call out the fact that all that money going to notre dame should actually be going to poor people yes right and so there's a and it is just as uncritical that position i think is just as uncritical as the position that says Eh, you know, Trump's a bad guy, but I vote for him anyway. Mm-hmm, you know, the, mm-hmm. the two are are as narrow in their acceptance of what they consider to be true or legitimate evidence. I wonder if there's, I mean... I don't want to equate, and, yeah. you know, the right and the left are not equivalent here. Yes. There's two separate things going on. Yeah. But in terms of the kind of... What ultimately comes out of it is a lack of critical thinking. Which is fascinating because the rights position here seems to me to be much closer to a, yeah, completely uncritical, 
but still an uncritical sort of word association, fill in the numbers version of post-structuralism. Yeah. Right. That and and that seems to be fascinating. That if if we think of the the origins of post-structuralism, which very very broadly, very loosely, one would define as as left wing. You know, if you think of as a sort of a left wing that has rightly or wrongly become suspicious of dogmatic Marxism, if you like. Yeah. One thing, yes. so to go back, because I know a few people have, have come out to me as listeners of the podcast mm. who I know are not academics. Can you describe post-structuralism in a sentence? I, can't, I certainly can't do it in a sentence. And I, I, I imagine if I tried... You you might well disagree with my my reading of post-structuralism because we're post-structuralists. Because we're well, you might be, speak for yourself. <laughs> Some of my best friends are post-structuralists. Uh, my my view of post-structuralism is in the aftermath of a collapse in faith in the Soviet Union on the left, sort of fifties sixties onwards. Uh, uh, a failure of a perceived failure of uh, May nineteen sixty eight in Paris. There is a general uh, suspicion that the academic intellectual left, defined very broadly in France, has uh, in the realistically liberatory potential that. Marxism and the mainstream Communist Party might have. Yeah. And as a result of that, there is a, an, a suspicion of the kind of holistic grand narratives. This is uh, Jean-François Lyotard's term, grand narrative, that claims to explain all of humanity. Yeah. And that could be Christianity as a grand narrative, Marxism as a grand narrative, Psychoanalysis is a grand narrative, and the behavioral economics is, is a, a grand, grand narrative. narrative, and the 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 response then on the part of post-structuralism is that all grand narratives are equally artificial, are equally false. None of them are able to explain all of humanity, all of reality, and. One needs to move past the kind of structures that grand narratives imply. So that could be parliamentary democracy as a as a response as a as a structure that is a result of the sort of liberal grand narrative, the uh, dictatorship of the proletariat as a structural uh, effect of the grand narrative that is communism, and so on and so forth. The church as a as a structural. Uh, effect of the grand narrative that is Christianity and all of these structures are m- maybe not equally and identically but similarly oppressive and similarly uh, limited in terms of being able to explain and understand the world and therefore they are all equally objects of suspicion and you have a have a kind of rejection of the grand narratives in in favor of uh, local and the fragmented and the partial and the elevation of the 
the disjointed as as perhaps more accurate uh, in terms of trying to trying to achieve at a at a conception of the world is that is that a fair outline yeah i mean i would i would i'm i tend to be a bit more nihilistic about it so i would i would say that where you would use you would use f- the frame of kind of oppression yeah um and that all the structures are oppressive i would probably tend to be a bit a bit more uh codian hmm. if you will because that's my frame where it's all of the structures what structuralism did and what kind of you know marxist explanations did and what 19th century sort of historical explanations Mm. of the world did was to assume Mm. that there is a structure underlying all of our activities Mm. and that the purpose of academia especially philosophy and the kind of traditional disciplines was mm. to outline what those structures are. Yeah. To uncover them and describe yeah. them, yeah. outline them, and then dis- discuss how they work. Yeah. What the post-structuralists did was actually to say, without us making no the structures, yeah. Yeah. there are no structures. Yes. We yeah. give them meaning. Yeah. We give them power. Yeah. And through language. Through language. Yeah. Specifically, and they describe language differently yeah. from each other. Yeah. And. And also through practice. Yeah. And the, the two together, what we do mm. and what we say. Yeah. And the combination of what we do and what we say gives the structures meaning and yeah. also keeps them going. Yeah. And it imbues them with actual power that has an effect on our lives. Yes. And that's how our lives get made yeah. and ordered. Yeah. What, what a lot of the post-structuralists did was to say, if you are to study how the structures get made, yeah. what you get to is an origin story for the structures. Yes. And it leads to a process by which you go back in the archive mm. and look at the development of language. Mm. So you look at the, the kind of appearance of certain terms. At yeah. what point in history did a yeah. word come to be? Yeah. At what point does it take on the meaning that we know and recognize and love today? Mm. Um, or in a sort of Derridian, like mm. Derrida, who's... Oh, like a, a parody in a sense like people now parody yeah, this yeah. approach because it is so abstract yeah. and very conceptual yeah. and very difficult but essentially what he did was to sort of to sort of take as a metaphor the idea that the world is written we yeah. write it it gets yeah. written somehow and if you are to unwrite it yeah. what you get at the start is nothing yeah and that's the sort of the goal yeah these approaches when done uncritically, hmm. can be used to do whatever you want. So, so one of the things that post-structuralism, in in all of its very flavors, is is equally suspicious of, is what we might call truth with a capital T. Yeah. Right. So the Derridean approach, the Foucauldian approach, the Bourdieuian, the approach. Bourdieuian approach, the Lyotardian approach, yeah. says okay. that. The way you the way you outline the the fact that sort of without us there is no structure. In other words, the structure, whether it's the Christian structure or the Marxist structure, that we take to be true. If you're a Christian, you you take God's existence to be true. If you're a Marxist, you take class struggle to be true. The, that 
post-structuralism is suspicious of anything that claims to be true. true truth with a capital T, as it were. So if you take that out, and then, as you said, don't replace it with a kind of critical understanding of how power works, how privilege works, how hierarchy works, all of those things, what you're left with is the fake news world of post-truth, where the right can hold all of these things in, in tension at the same time, without ever having to articulate it as a tension. Yeah. Right? So the right doesn't, the, the Trump voting right, for example, doesn't see a tension between voting for a man who acknowledges himself as a sexual abuser and family values because they are convinced that Trump will nominate an anti, anti-choice Supreme Court justice, for example. Um, and that is not seen as a tension. But the left can't hold the fact that Assange might well be a sexual abuser and might still be being targeted by a totalitarian state for reasons that have got nothing to do with protecting women's rights as attention. Yeah. Exactly. So, what's the way out here? Post-post-structuralism. <laughs> Is it post-structuralism? I mean, this is this is. I mean, I, I guess this is a wider question beyond Assange, but in the world of Trump and Brexit and fake news and you know, you write something on the side of a bus and therefore it becomes true. Yeah. Well, we did. We talked about this a, f- a few yeah. weeks ago, didn't we? When we talked about Bruno Latour. And yeah. Critique. I mean, I because I flip back and forth between thinking that post-structuralism has a lot to answer for and saying that this is giving far too much importance to critical theory. I know. And I, I, I genuinely don't know how I, what I think about this. Because the connections between post-truth and post-structuralism seem to me to be clear. But, you know, to what extent is anyone reading Lyotard or Derrida and, and, you know, like... Is, is Murdoch reading Derrida? I mean, clearly not, right? But is there something Derridean, even, albeit in a, in a clearly very sort of bastardized, uncritical form, that explains 21st century journalism and big sky quotes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I don't know. I mean, I wonder, I, I often, after I go around in circles yeah. for a while around around this question of does our, does our critical theory give us the tools to escape? I leave it. Yeah. <laughs> because it's too much. Yeah. And I then move to, well, what have historically been the, the tools that we've used? Yeah. And normally that is technology. Yeah. It's it, and it's a particular. The there are particular social and political circumstances within which various forms of technology have provided yeah. the means for moving past or through a moment yeah. Yeah. and coming out the other side, and 
and then I think about the the kind of current world in which tech is being developed, and yeah. I'm just like, oh. So is this in to go back to our focus of of this episode? Is the solution to find a sort of non-rapey version of WikiLeaks? Yeah, presumably. Yeah, find a find a hero that you can trust. Yeah. But the left never trusts their heroes, right? Yeah. You, there's no one is ever perfect for the idealist left because the left is the, the left essentially comes together around a desire for a future that's different yeah. and the right comes together around a desire for a past that already happened yeah and they have a, a clear the right has a clear shared story about what that past felt like yeah the left doesn't have a clear shared story about what the future should look like yeah and so any kind of mm. real yeah. manifestation of the left yeah. is fundamentally flawed mm. because once it is no longer the ideal future mm. but is yeah. in fact a real a real object or a real person mm. or a real idea mm. it suddenly takes on characteristics of the present mm. which aren't ideal they're flawed yeah. and you know you see this with i think you know social media makes it more obvious to mm. us mm. um but you see it with the discourse around presidential candidates in the democratic party that's what i was thinking so the cliche of sort of republicans fall in line but democrats need to fall in love yep um and yeah that's always going to be disappointing right like you fall in love with obama he's going to disappoint you you fall in love with you know Sanders is going to disappoint you. Yeah. Uh because Kamala Harris yeah. and Elizabeth Warren, you know, they ha- they all have aspects of their past, of their career, of their work, of their personalities that are problematic for some people on the left. Hmm. But what I mean I guess it depends how you define the left, right? I mean one would assume that if you have a critical understanding of systemic problems, then you realize that the solution has to be collective and not individual and you can't have collective heroes you don't fall in love within with with collectives as it were um but that doesn't seem to work i wonder too i mean i think organizing so yeah. the, the friends that i have who are active organizers yeah. on the ground nitty gritty mm. hard work physical labor, emotional labor, intellectual labor. Organizing is very different from thinking. Yeah. And those friends have a very clear idea yeah. of the mechanics of, of left-wing activity. Yeah. There's something about a lot of the movements on the left that have come about in the last 10, 15 years mm-hmm. that are more thought-based and discourse-based by discourse, I mean conversation, conversation-based, mm. than action-based. Mm. And I'm, I'm thinking of Me Too, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of before mm. that, um, the Everyday Woman Project yeah. and sort of online yeah. feminism. I'm yeah. also thinking of the really rapid transition towards uh, pro-gay marriage positions yeah. in the United yeah. States and yeah. in Britain. Um, a lot of those came about very rapidly mm. through discourse, but it spent decades yeah. in the works by organizers yeah, yeah, on the yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're different forms of left, mm. left-like activity. 
So, would I mean, I, I would you be able to summarize what your the the organizers in your friends group friend groups do? They have a position on Assange, for example. I don't actually know. Yeah. I think most of them would probably share. Yeah. Ash Zerker's view here, which is that extradite the man to Sweden. Yeah. And and allow WikiLeaks to carry on. And allow WikiLeaks, yeah. Presumably. Yeah. And work to put in place um, or to to lobby for protections Mm -hmm. for journalists. That's a good message to end on, I think. I think so. Um... Let us know if you agree with any of this. Uh, let us know if you have a different position about any of this. Um, or if our discussion of post-structuralism made no sense. If you have any questions, we'll, we'll <laughs> do our best to answer them. Um, look after yourselves and see you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been the State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we be?